Good morning. If you've got your Bibles, will you open up with me? 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 12, and we're going to make our way through chapter 3 into verse 6. It's good to be with you. Uh, we got a lot going on, so make sure you head over to the 10 afterwards, kind of check things out with women's ministry and men's ministry. I want to throw one other date for you. The first Sunday of April is our five-year anniversary as a church. So we're going to celebrate. We're going to have the taco truck rafter on that first Sunday. So mark that on your calendar. You don't want to miss that. Five years, God has been faithful to us. So we'll celebrate that first Sunday in April, our five-year anniversary. Celebrate it with an all-church lunch afterwards. But we are making our way through the book of 2 Corinthians. So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. Hear God's word with us this morning. If you're new with us, we say a warm welcome to you. It's great to be with you. My name's Aaron. I'm the pastor here. Uh, we have connect cards over there. We'd love to get a hold of you uh, to be able just to connect with you and share a little bit more about what's going on in our church. But also, if you're on our newsletter, hopefully you're able to get what's happening as well. But you can do that on our website. Just put in your email at the bottom there on our webpage, and that will sign you up for our newsletter. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting verse 12. Hear God's word. Paul writes this. So when I came to Trous to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in this triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we were not like so many peddlers of God's words, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as, as some do, letters of recommend, recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are a letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. This morning we're going to be talking about the topic of a calling, vocation. What does that look like? And as we think of vocation and calling, there's kind of two different callings that we like to, to think about. There's a general calling that we all get as believers. That calling is from God to, to go out and make disciples of all nations, that calling is Romans 12, to lay our lives as this living sacrifice, as service unto the Lord. That calling is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, this is God's will for you to be sanctified. But there's also specific callings that God kind of lays on our hearts. As he talks to us and whispers to us, he, he, he impresses these things that he would call us to do that are more specific to us as individuals. And that's kind of the topic that we're talking about this morning, those specific calling, those things that God would call you to. Maybe it's the military. Maybe it's something after the military that he calls and kind of lays on your heart a passion for his name. So that's kind of what we're talking about tonight, this morning. 
Well, as Albert Einstein was boarding the train, he was frantic. He had this frantic look on his, on his face as he's kind of heading up and down the aisles, looking under the chairs, and as Albert Einstein is doing this, the train crew kind of came up to him and said, what are you looking for, Mr. Er, Mr. Einstein? How can we help you in this? Albert Einstein, this renowned scientist, turned to them and said, I lost my ticket. Well, the conductor overhearing this conversation came up to Mr. Einstein. He said, don't worry about finding your ticket. We all know who you are, Mr. Einstein. But those words did very little to calm Albert Einstein down. Up and down the aisles, he continued to go, looking over under every chair that he could find. The conductor, realizing that none of his words were really kind of calming Albert Einstein did, he came up to him again and said, Dr. Einstein, we, we know who you are. We don't think you're trying to kind of hitch a ride on the train. We believe you that you had a ticket. You're okay. We know who you are. Albert Einstein looked back kind of frustrated at the conductor. He said, I'm not looking for my ticket because I don't know who I am. I know exactly who I am. I'm looking for my ticket because I don't know where I'm going. Albert Einstein literally did not know his destination of where he was supposed to end up on the train, and therefore he was frantically looking for his ticket. You see, this teaches us a fundamental lesson in life, that you and I need to know fundamental two truths to answer these questions to be able to have great success in this life. We need to know our identity, and we need to know our calling. We need to know where we're headed. These two things will allow us to find great success in this life, a calling, uh, or rather identity and a calling. And in fact, if we're going to have success and be able to, to overcome great obstacles, these two things are going to make a great impact on our life. And we learn this from, first of all, our identity. Hopefully we as Christians understand how our identity is so important. Finding our identity in Christ, it gives us security. It allows us to know that we belong to God Almighty. Therefore, we're able to overcome great obstacles in this life, understanding who we belong to and that security in that. But secondly, just as important as our identity is in Christ is our calling. But what is our purpose? What has God called us to? And, and if we don't find or don't understand our calling, we walk wandrously throughout this life. And as we look at this passage this morning, we understand that Paul understood both. Paul understood his identity, and he understood his calling. And I believe that's how he was able to have so much success, even when opposition was coming his way. In fact, as we open up this letter, we understand that here was a man who faced great opposition. I mean, the Corinthians were just a thorn in the side of Paul. Paul loved this church like his own children, but here's the problem. They were rebellious children. And no matter how much Paul began to chase them and love them, this church continually began to, to run away in rebellion and sin. And over and over again, they continually just began to rebel and rebel and rebel, which had to be so frustrating. Can you just imagine giving your life, so, or sacrificing so much on behalf of a church, but then them not loving you back. And that really is Paul's and the Corinthians' relationship, which only got worse as this group began to infiltrate the church and began to kind of persuade the church away from Paul's influence and onto their own false gospel. And the way they were doing this was they were kind of 
coming up with all these different tricks to do so. They're telling Paul, hey, you're, they're telling rather the Corinthians that, Paul, you're not really a, an apostle because you suffered so much. How would God's servants suffer so much? Wouldn't God protect him? So therefore, Paul can't be a real servant of the Lord because look at his life. Secondly, they were going and they were saying all sorts of things and they were saying, hey, Paul can't be a real servant because of how wishy-washy he is with his words. And this really was the main problem as we see at the beginning of this letter. Paul told this church that he was going to visit it on two different occasions. He was going to go on their way from Macedonia. He was going to stop in Corinth, go to Macedonia. And then on his return, he was going to stop back in Corinth. The problem was that Paul only made one visit. So this group was saying, look, it shows you that he can't be trusted because his word is untrustworthy. He said he was going to visit you twice, and he only did so once. It shows you that he doesn't really love you, Corinthians. He only is concerned about his own ways and his own plan because he only visited you once. If he cared about you, he would have returned. So where they're saying all these words and just hearing it is just kind of tiresome. You're under, and it, just, it, it, it tires us out. So imagine how tiring this would be for Paul. How, how annoying it would be to to give your life to this church, but yet then this church to listen to these lies about you and actually believe those lies. And it would have been so easy for Paul to throw up his hands and say, I'm through with you, church. I mean, I'm just going to leave this church. I'm going to go plant another church. It's not worth it. Notice, Paul doesn't do that. Paul is strong in his calling, because he understands his identity and he understands he was commissioned by God. But if you're looking at this passage, we begin to see right away this is true. Here's a man who, who understood he was commissioned by God in the sight of God, propelled by a relationship with God. This is what was allowed him to stay so strong, even amidst the great controversy that was taking place. In fact, as we understand, he immediately begins to defend himself against these people. Because he understood his commission and he understood he was in the sight of God, it gave him the ability to, to have opposition come his way and walk right through it. But notice how, as he begins, he's defending himself again on the lie that they were telling him that he didn't really care about his church because he didn't attend or didn't stop and make two visits with them. We understand chapter 2, his reasoning was, I didn't want to make another painful visit to them. In other words, he needed this church to cool off. He needed them just to give a little break between him and them so they would be able to correct themselves through this other painful letter he wrote to them so that on his return, it wouldn't be a, a, a visit of him just kind of scolding them, but it would be a time of rejoicing. So he says, I didn't visit you for your sake, for your benefit, to kind of give some space between us and you so you would be able to correct yourself. But we learned this morning that he didn't necessarily leave them alone. Rather, he left them with Titus. And Titus's job was to kind of be there with them and kind of return back to Paul and give Paul feedback on how it was going. Did the church correct itself? Did, did they listen to my letter? How did they respond to my letter? Are they now a mature church and united together, uh, kind of repenting of their sin and pursuing Jesus again? That was Titus's job to come report back to Paul. The problem was, as we see in the text, Titus didn't show up. 
So immediately, Paul is concerned, and he's full of anxiety. Look at what it says in our passage with us in the first uh, verse 12 to uh, verse 13 of, of, of chapter 2. It says, When I came to Trials to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest, because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. So immediately from this text, those two verses, we understand that here's a man who loved his church greatly. Paul loved the Corinthians, and we can see it in the text. Here he has, he's having this open door, open door to preach the gospel in Trous, but yet he doesn't stay there because he's so concerned about the Corinthians. We understand he had a heart for his church because here's a man who's full of anxiety. He's full of anxiety because Titus wasn't where he was supposed to be. They were supposed to meet up in Trous. And because Titus is not there, Paul is anxious to hear the report from the Corinthians. He is, he is full of anxiety. He's sick in his heart because he needs this report. So what do we see Paul do? He leaves an open door to preach the gospel. He leaves Trous and he heads up north to Macedonia. And if you see this on a map, it makes perfectly good sense. Here's Trous, here's Corinth. Titus is in Corinth, Paul is in, in, in Trous, and, and they were supposed to meet up in, in Trous. But because it was wintertime, the, the ocean began to become, the, the Aegean Sea was so rough that, that it didn't allow Titus to meet up in time. So then they began to head north into Macedonia on the land, away from the sea because it was winter. So they headed up, and they're supposed to meet in Macedonia and get a report. But what we see is Paul is, is full of anxiety. He just told them, hey, I, I'm worried about you. But look at the contrast in the text and what we see next. He's full of anxiety, but the very next verse, verse 14 to 15, he says, but thanks, but thanks be to God. But thanks be to God. And if you're a Corinthian reading his letter, you're thinking, how can you say that, Paul? Thanks be to God? You just told us that you were full of anxiety. Chapter 1, you told us that you literally despised your life itself, that you were so enduring so many trials that you literally just wanted to die. You're full of anxiety at this point, but yet you say, thanks be to God? But notice why Paul can say this. It really is the theme of the entire letter. That through his weakness, God's power is seen. Through Paul's weakness, his power is seen. So yes, Paul is full of anxiety and Paul is suffering, but through his weakness, God is using him for the Corinthians' good. In fact, we see it in the very next illustration. Verse 14 to 15, listen to what this says because it really does illustrate the entire theme of 2 Corinthians. It says, but thanks be to God who, who in Christ always leads us in this triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere for, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? He gives us this great illustration. It's this, it's this Roman military parade. So you're kind of picturing in this your head. Imagine you turning on ESPN and you just watch the NBA Finals and afterwards they have the parade uh, the, of the team that kind of parades through town. Or you're watching the Super Bowl and you're watching... Uh, the, the buccaneers have their parade on boats. That's what you need to picture here. This is what the Romans did. This great celebration. It was greatly important for the, for the Romans to do this. They would dress their general up in all purple. The general who just defeated this opposing army will be marched through the city so all the people of the city can praise him. 
But as he's marching through this parade, what we see behind him would be the conquered enemies. The nation he just conquered, they would be all tied up and they would be walking behind him in this procession, or the conquered slaves would be following him. So it's this striking picture, and from this picture again, we get to see the whole theme. If you understand this picture, you understand the theme of 2 Corinthians. Because notice what Paul is picturing himself to be. He's picturing himself to be the conquered slave. The the general is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is marching along and he has Paul along with him. But notice what is being said. In fact, the NIV even brings this point out even clearer than the ESV does. In verse 14 it says this, Thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. The the picture here again is, is Paul is the conquered slave. He's saying, I have given myself so much so to the Corinthian church that I can call myself a slave for Christ. I have devoted so much that I have laid down my life to be this conquered slave on behalf of Christ and on the benefit of the Corinthians so that they would be able to see the glory of who Jesus is. Through Paul's weakness, the Corinthians are strengthened. Through his suffering through the gospel, the Corinthians are strengthened. Through his sacrifice of giving his life, the Corinthians are strengthened. So yes, the theme is true. That through our weaknesses, God's power is displayed through us. So he's saying, here, look at Corinthians. I am lean, literally living my life as a slave for Christ for your benefit so God's power could be seen. In fact, this theme of aroma begins to make this point even more clear. The aroma, this, this incense that would go out throughout the parade... They would have their soldiers carry incense throughout. They would have the defeated army carry incense. So this smell is smelling up as they're walking through Rome in this great parade. Paul is saying that kind of brings two memories to mind, two contrasted thoughts. For the Romans, that smell immediately reminds them of victory. It reminds them that they are the conquering nation. It reminds them of their victory and their power and their might. But yet... To the conquering slave, to the nation who just been conquered, as they smell that smell, it brings a totally different thought to their minds. To them, it reminds them that death is coming. Because there is marching along the parade, what the Romans would do at the very end is they would literally slaughter the conquered nation. So that smell to them was a reminder that death was coming. And Paul says, that's my life. In one sense, my life in this gospel message I preach brings great memories to those I'm preaching it to. It reminds them that our Christ is victorious. It reminds them of the eternal hope they have. It reminds them of the kingdom coming. But yet, to those others who don't know Christ, Paul says, my life and my gospel ministry reminds them of judgment and death. Reminds them that judgment is coming. It's coming a day in which they will stand before the Lord and will be judged. And notice what he concludes in verse 14. He says, who is sufficient for such a task? In other words, remember what the Corinthians were asking. They were saying, Paul, are you adequate for this ministry? Are you sufficient to be a real apostle? And he says, who is sufficient for this ministry? supposed to sting the Corinthians. He's saying, who, who can really be ready for a ministry like this, that there's a weight upon it? 
In one sense, yes, bringing life, but in another sense, bringing judgment and death. Who can be sufficient to proclaim eternity to the nations? Paul says nobody. Nobody is sufficient for such a task, but look at what he says next. He concludes with this, verse 17, even though nobody is really sufficient for his ministry, he says, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, catch this next part, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. But Paul says nobody's really sufficient but we've been called into this ministry. How are we sufficient? Not in ourselves, but that we've been called by God. Paul understood his calling, and because he understood his calling, he's able to withstand the opposition from this group within Corinth. They could question him all they wanted to, but because he was secure, it enabled him to be able to press on even amidst the questions that they were bringing up. You see, when we understand that we're commissioned by God, in the sight of God, in the word of Christ, that relationship with Christ propels us forward. When we understand that we're commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we can withstand any opposition as well. Because imagine if we're like Paul. Imagine if we are so secure in understanding our calling that we would be able to face opposition and keep on going because we understand what God has called us to. In fact, listen to the confidence that we see in those first words. Notice what the words are in verse 16, as commissioned by God. As commissioned, this is Paul talking, as commissioned by God. What he's really saying here is, I am secure, and I understand it's God who's called me to this ministry in Corinth. It's God who's called me to proclaim the gospel to the Corinthian church. He's so secure in his calling that it doesn't matter what these men bring up. So yes, the Corinthians could question him all they wanted to, but because Paul knew he was called by God to ministry, he kept marching forward. See, what mattered to Paul more than anything else was God's calling on his life. God's calling on his life was of greater importance than the Corinthians' questioning. question we need to understand if we see calling is so powerful that it would propel Paul forward even in the face of opposition, do we know our calling? How, how do we even figure out our calling? Well, again, I think that the, the first thing we have to understand is we have to understand our general calling, that we're all called to make disciples. We're all called to, to live our lives for the glory of Christ. But what about those specific callings? See, I think it takes us to find ourselves in the presence of God, silencing our own, our, our, our own kind of thoughts and, and agendas in life and beginning to listen to his. That if we spend enough time in God's presence that his passions begin to be imprinted upon our hearts and we begin to listen to them, it can propel us forward in what he's called us to do. We simply just need to be in his presence. Do you know your calling? Do you know what God has implanted upon your hearts, his passions, what he wants you to do? Have you sat in his presence long enough that you would be able to understand that, yes, he's commissioned you to a certain task? And as you listen to him, would you have the faith and the courage to do what he's called you to do? That's Paul. 
He says, I'm commissioned by God, but next, catch what he says next. Commissioned by God in the sight of God. In other words, he understands whose sight he's working under. This word sight, it kind of brings two emotions to mind. It brings the emotion of fear in one sense, but it also brings the emotion of, of courage. In one sense, fear or awe. And he, he says, I'm commissioned by God in the sight of God. God is watching me. Almighty God, the creator of the heavens and earth, is, is watching me. So therefore, Paul says, man, I am a man of integrity. This kind of awe and fear of God propels me to live my life and in my calling. Trying to pursue righteousness, being a man or a woman of integrity. That's what he's saying there. But also, he says, it brings me courage. It brings me confidence. Because I'm in the sight of God, these lesser audiences don't seem to matter to him. In fact, Os Guinness would say it this way in his book, The Call. He writes this. He says, a life lived listening to the decisive call of God is a life lived before one audience that trumps all others. And, And because of this, he goes on to say, we can afford to be careless about lesser audiences. Do you hear what Os Guinness just said? He said, a life lived listening to the decisive call of God is a life lived before one audience that trumps all others. And when we listen to that voice, he goes on to say, we can afford to be careless about all lesser audiences. See, Paul served an audience of one. Because he was under the sight of God, he could care less about the audience of the Corinthians' questions. That's his life. And when you and I get our calling from God, we can serve as well under this audience of one with great courage and confidence. In fact, I'm reminded of the story of General Charles Gordon. General Gordon was serving under Winston Churchill and he was working in Sudan. Here's a man who faced great opposition as well to the point in which he would face a king in Sudan who literally would chop off his head. What's so incredible about General Gordon, though, is here's a man who loved his God with all his heart. So when he was about to be executed, he looked at this king, and he says, I, the, the king asked him, looked at General Gordon, he says, I can take off your life and uh, take your life away from you. And General Gordon looked back, and he says, man, you can take my life or you can spare me. It really doesn't matter. The king was taken back. He says, what do you mean? He says, I've always lived my life ready to die. And he goes on to say this, because I received the smile of God, the frown or the smile of man doesn't move me. Because I've received the smile of God, the smile or frown of man, it doesn't move me. Man, we would take heart to, to take that advice in our callings. We receive the smile of God. Man, the the frown or the smile of man, it shouldn't move us. Because here are the things. In our callings, there are going to be people who doubt our calling. There's going to be people who question our calling. There's going to be people who come in and try to persuade us away from our calling, stop us from our calling, or distract us from our calling. But when we get a calling from God, we must understand those words. That when we receive the smile of God, The frown or the smile of man, it shouldn't move us. And if you look at people who did great things for the kingdom of God, these are people who understood that principle. Just look at Martin Luther and the Reformation. Look at John Lewis through the Civil Rights Movement. 
You look at William Tyndale as he's beginning to, to translate Scripture as people are threatening his life. Just look at these people and you will see William Wilberforce with the slave trade. You look at people and they understood that because they received the smile of God, because they were serving an audience of one, they were able to move forward even in opposition. Paul says, that's me. I've been commissioned by God in the sight of God to continue forward, propelled, nextly, propelled by a relationship with Christ. Look at what he says in verse 17 again. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God. Catch this next part. We speak in, we speak in Christ. We speak in Christ. Paul uses this word in Christ quite a bit. What he's trying to get across, though, is that his calling and his relationship with Jesus were tied together, could not be separated. So that his, his relationship, his love, his longing for the glory of Christ to be seen, it's this what is what propelled him forward in his calling. You see, our problem is we separate our vocation our calling, and we separate it from our relationship with Jesus. When we begin to have our relationship with Jesus over here, and our calling over here, we find ourselves impotent in our calling because our calling is not a great enough end to push us forward in opposition. My calling cannot be my end goal. My love of Christ must. So that when my, my relationship with Jesus propels my calling, that's when I'm able to propel even in opposition or move forward in opposition. So when my relationship with Jesus propels me forward in my calling, I can find myself walking forward even amidst the opposition. How does this happen? How does my love for Christ propel me forward in my calling? The question we need to ask is, what does a love for Christ create? See, when I'm passionate about Christ, guess what happens? A love for Christ creates a sincerity and a great love for other people. A love for Christ creates a, a, a looking at sin and saying, I, I don't want that, but I want to pursue holiness. A love for Christ creates us to be able to stand, amidst the, stand against evil but yet pursue righteousness, to pursue truth, and to pursue beauty. Notice how this love of Christ can be propelled and, and, and move any vocation, and it should move every vocation. Imagine if that took place in your own life, that your love for Christ began to propel and impact each and every day that you go to work, that it propels you forward to love those around you in a greater degree that it propels you forward to resist sin and pursue holiness, that it would propel you forward to stand against righteousness or stand against uh, evil and pursue righteousness, truth, and beauty. Paul says that you understand these principles. You listen to God and you hear your calling as you're commissioned by him. You understand you're in his sight, that he's the one who's watching you, you serve an audience of one. And if your relationship with Jesus propels you forward, Friends, you can overcome any and every opposition that stands against your way. Paul says, this is me. Again, the question was, could Paul be a true apostle? 
Was his ministry big enough? Was he able to do this? And Paul says, hey, I've been a commissioned by God in the sight of God, speaking in Christ, propelled by that relationship. But here's the problem. It still is not convincing. It's not convincing enough to the Corinthian people. They could have easily looked at Paul and said, anybody could say that. Anybody could say that they're commissioned by God. Well, Paul then says, his last argument is found in these remaining, uh, in, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, verses 1 through 6. Listen to what he says. This is his last argument. He says, hey, Corinthians, you want to know that you, why I am commissioned to, to proclaim the gospel among you? Just look at yourselves. Look at the fruit that's taken place. L- listen to what he says in these last verses. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some, to, to do letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not not that we're sufficient again in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Powerful couple verses. In essence, what he's saying, he's saying, hey, do, I, do I really need to write another letter of recommendation to you? In other words, do, do we really need to go back to the beginning of our relationship for, for me to prove my integrity to you? For, for me to prove that I am sufficient for this task, that I am a man of truth and godliness? Paul says we, we don't need to go back to the beginning. Why? Because my letter is not written on paper. My letter is written on your hearts. My letter of recommendation is upon your heart, Corinthian church, so if you want to know if I'm sufficient for this task and if my gospel is true, just look around. Look at the fruit that's taken place in your life. Look at how Jesus has transformed you and changed your inclinations. In fact, this is what he's saying here. He's saying when the gospel takes root in a community, same thing he says in Galatians chapter 5 with the fruit of the Spirit, same argument. He's saying when the, when the gospel takes root in a community, it produces life change. That's the new covenant. In fact, notice how Paul is writing here. He's writing in such a way for us to immediately think of the new covenant. Listen to his words as he says in this passage and how similar, similar they are to Exodus 36 or Jeremiah 31. I'm going to read you Jeremiah 31 and listen to how similar. These are talking about the promise of the new covenant He would say this, Jeremiah 31, verse 31 to 32, and said, this is the covenant, speaking of the new covenant, I will make with the house of Israel after the days the Lord's declaration. I will place my teaching within them and write on their hearts, I will be their God and they will be my people. I will place my teaching within them and write on their hearts. So Paul is simply using new covenant language when he's saying, I don't need a letter of stone but I'm writing this upon your hearts because my ministry is empowered by the Holy Spirit. So again, when the Holy Spirit takes root within a community, it produces life change. Paul's argument is saying is this, if you want to know if I'm sufficient for this task, just look around and see the life change that has taken place in Corinth. 
Look at how you love each other in a greater degree. Look at how you love your, your, the scriptures more. Look at how you are able to get along easier and you proclaim the glory of, of Christ. You want to know if I'm true or not? It says, look at yourself. Which leads us to this very last point. Our vocations, our callings in this life, they should impact other people. So often we make our vocations about ourselves. Trying to climb the corporate ladder. Trying to get the next rank. It's all about me, me, me. When you have a calling from God, it's going to impact the community around you. Paul says the way I'm able to face opposition is I'm commissioned by God in the sight of God, propelled by a relationship with Jesus, and my calling impacts other people. It's your in is your calling, your vocation, what God has laid upon your heart, is it making an impact on those around you? For the betterment of the kingdom, for the glory of Christ. God, I'm thankful for your word. God, I, I pray that this week that you would move your people to, to listen more to your voice. God, would you speak to us this week? Would you lay your passion upon our hearts? Would you lay your agenda? Would you lay your desires? God, would you give us a great enough faith that when we hear your voice, that we would move forward in obedience, that you would commission your church to do great things within the city of Moore County for your end and your glory. God, we want Christ glorified. God, we're so in love with your son that we want the rest of the world to see his beauty and his grace and his might. God, that we would see a God who walks with us and talks with us. A God who has commissioned each and every one of us to pursue you in great relationship. And as we spend our time with you, would you send us out to make an impact for your kingdom? Be with your church. Be with your people. We pray these things in your son's name.